before you accuse me of hypocrisy, I'll just come out and admit this. Right now, I am wearing a shirt that is a 60-40 cotton polyester blend. Which you may think is not a big deal until we read the passage of Scripture that clearly says that you are not supposed to mix different fabrics together, wearing cloth of different types. You know, part of the benefit of going through Leviticus is we're seeing uh, some of these laws And we wanted to give you enough that we're going through the morning service so we can have an idea of how to handle these things. Because there's some that are definitely controversial in the world today. I mean, two weeks ago when we were in Leviticus 18 and we talked about uh, the sexual ethics that are discussed there, we saw that there's a lot in there uh, that is uh, not politically correct in the world today. And that a lot of people in society have, um, have problems with. And one of the ways that they dismiss some of what is taught in um, Leviticus 18 about uh, marriage being between a man and a woman, things of that nature, is to say, well, you also have these things in Leviticus that are just ridiculous. Saying that you can't wear uh, clothing made of um, two, you shall not wear a garment made of cloth of two different kinds of material. And so if you... Uh, don't uh, live according to that. Why should we live according to this? So we can just ignore the whole thing. So we've been looking at some principles of how to handle some of the Old Testament law. And we acknowledge the fact that we are not under the Old Covenant anymore. We're under the New Covenant. And when we take communion later on, this is, this is a New Covenant made by the blood of Christ. We're not under the Mosaic Law as the Mosaic Law anymore. Although, as we've seen, there are, there are moral principles, moral parts of that that do carry on because they're based in God's character and, or his design for this world. So we've seen that one of the, uh, there's a few questions you can ask yourself when you're working with Old Testament law. I mean, one of the quick and easy ones is, is this law repeated in the New Covenant era? In the New Testament, especially after the death and resurrection of Christ and in the church age. And we've seen so many of these uh, commandments, they're repeated. And therefore, okay, that that settles it right there. Those, at least, we can know they are in force for us today. And we need to live by them. We've also seen that there are some laws where you can see, are they explicitly repealed in the New Testament? So some of the food laws have been repealed. And there's verses you can point to. The sacrifices, uh, things of that nature, um, they're done away with because Christ has come and these no longer apply to us. They've been fulfilled in Christ. But what about other ones where you can't find a verse that, that says it's repeated and you don't see something that says it's repealed? Well, how do we handle some of these verses? And we've seen also that some of them, they may be included in an umbrella concept. When Jesus talked about sexual immorality, he didn't have to list every single one individually. He didn't have to say uh, bestiality. It was included and people understood that. But there's some other principles you can look at too. Again, we said if it's a moral law grounded in the character of God or his design of this world, then that's an indication that part continues on. So lying has always been wrong because it goes against the character of God. And another principle we can look at too 
is to see that sometimes there are laws that uh, sometimes are a cultural expression of an underlying moral truth. So even though we may not live in Israel in that day, and even though there are things that are different today, and if the law is not repeated, it may mean that this law doesn't apply to us uh, on, the, on the surface, but sometimes there's still an underlying core that we can understand and realize, well, that part still applies to us today. And I think that's going to apply to quite a few of the laws we're going to look at as we read uh, this passage and discuss some of these in the short amount of time that we have. So let's read through this entire section, and then we're going to go through and we're going to discuss some of these, and we will have to be fairly uh, succinct in some of the things that we say. So we're in the book of Numbers 19. We're going to start with uh, verse 19. Last week was love your neighbor as yourself. And we've seen um, that applies today as well. It's in the New Testament. Verse 19, here we go. You shall keep my statutes, and you shall not let your cattle breed with different kinds. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. As we go through this, you're going to see it's kind of a, a potpourri of different, uh, potpourri of different uh, laws here that how they're organized might not seem to make a lot of sense to us, but we'll keep going. If a man lies sexually with a woman who is a slave assigned to another man and not yet ransomed or given her freedom, a distinction shall be made. They shall not be put to death because she was not free, but he shall bring his compensation to the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting, a ram for a guilt offering, And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering before the Lord for his sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven for the sin that he has committed. When you come into the land and plant any any kind of tree for food, then you shall regard its fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden to you, it must not be eaten. And in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat of its fruit to increase its yield for you. I am the Lord your God. 26. You shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. You shall not round off the hair or the temples or mar the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuts on your body For the dead or tattoo yourselves, I am the Lord. Do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute, lest the land fall into prostitution and the land become full of depravity. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary, I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or wizards, and do not seek them out, or so make yourselves unclean by them, I am the Lord your God. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. And you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. 
You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measure, or length, or weight, or quantity, and you shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hin. Those are units of measure. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them, and I am, I am the Lord. Now skip down in chapter 20 to verse uh, 6. The first five verses, we will deal with those separately in a different sermon. So just 6 through 9. If a person turns to mediums and wizards, whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. All right. So we have all kinds of topics here, including... uh, different types of fabrics. We have some references with (coughs) slavery. We have tattoos, immigration, these topics. What could go wrong this morning? (laughs) So so pray as as we get into this and what is saying. uh, We'll seek to be be edifying and and true. Let me say again, some of these, we're going to see our cultural expressions of an underlying moral principle. That's going to be something that helps us out. We have to realize sometimes, even in the New Testament, that's the case. For example, uh, Romans 16, 16. Do you know what that says? It says, tells Christians, greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay? That's what Scripture says. That's, uh, that's New Testament. But uh, please do not kiss me afterwards. Okay? <clears throat> um, I hope you're, you're fine. The rest of you, please, no. Okay? <clears throat> But I think we understand that the main point it's getting at there is greet each other warmly, okay? And for us to go around kissing each other here, they they would not communicate the same thing today as it did in that culture or in other cultures, you know, in the world here today. You know, instead of a warm handshake might might do the job or or whatever it is. So that's an example of one law that there's an underlying moral principle and then there's the cultural expression of that. And sometimes the cultural expression changes, but the moral principle underneath does not. So sometimes we have to look for that um, and be careful that we're not abusing that and saying something's cultural when it's actually not cultural. Last week we saw, for example, it said, do not harvest the edges of your field. You know, leave them for the poor to come in and glean from there. So today, just, I think... That as a Mosaic law no longer applies, but there are certain moral principles behind that. You know, and there's ways that we can obey that today. Even if you don't have a field, you know, we can use some of our resources. Giving to uh, charities that effectively help the poor would be the same principle underneath. So at the end today, when it talks about using just weights and having a, a just ephah, you know, we don't want to say, well, um, instead of using weights, I use an electronic scale, and instead of ephahs, I use gallons. So it's okay for me to cheat my neighbor. I just can't do it with weights and ephahs. We realize, okay, wait a second. No, that's, that's, that's not the point. 
So we, the, uh, the, some of the cultural expression may change, the example may change, but there's an underlying moral truth. So when we go through this, uh, these laws, they're, they're kind, of, um, kind of jumbled up. And maybe the point of that is communicating to us that that's how life is. Life is, uh, life is, is a mix, it's a variety. And, but for our purposes here, we're going to group them into a few headings. And I'm, I'm going to give you what I think is an underlying moral principle, and we're going to look at some of these individual laws. So, first, we're going to say, God's people must avoid the occult, witchcraft, black magic, things that were associated with the worship of these false gods, these dark arts, uh, these mysticisms. So, God is preparing the people of Israel to go into the land of Canaan. There's all kinds of this going on. These practices, worshiping Baal and Asherah and these false gods, they were into all kinds of wicked things. And a lot of these verses that we have just read deal with that. And so the first one that from 19, I think, falls under that heading, but I'm going to have to explain it so we realize that. So this is, uh, in verse 19, it says, not letting cattle breed with different kind, sowing your field with two kinds of seed, mixing the different seeds in your field, and making garments of two different types of cloth. So the, the cotton polyester blend, they didn't have polyester back in the day. But what's the point of this? It doesn't give the reason for it in the verse. So people have had to try and discern what's going on here behind the surface. There have been some that said, well, the main principle behind this is to not cross boundaries, to not mix things that ought to be kept uh, separate. Now, I need to stop here and point out, there's, with that explanation, if there is any truth to that, uh, there's a huge caution that we need to be aware of. Because that explanation uh, has been used by racists to say, See, we need to get the, keep the races separate. You know, and they're not, they shouldn't be mixing, shouldn't be around each other, and definitely shouldn't be getting married to each other. And so that's been latched onto by racists and, and used in a way that it's, it's not intended to be used. And I'll tell you this, in VBS coming up this week, one of the things that the kids are going to be learning is that really ultimately, biblically, we're all from the same race. There's the human race. And also, too, if you look at the total teachings of Scripture, Scripture actually does not have a problem with interracial uh, mingling or even interracial marriage. Did you know Moses had a black wife? Moses had a black wife. If you look in Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. Cush, in, in the biblical land, that was Ethiopia. So Moses had a, a black wife. We also know that um, Ruth was a, uh, a Gentile. She was from Moab. She wasn't a Hebrew. There are verses in Scripture that do talk about not marrying foreigners. But the point of that is because they didn't worship the true God that they'd be drawn into these false religions. If it was somebody like Ruth that became a worshiper of the true God, then it was fine. 
the prohibitions against it were against uh, the people of God marrying people that worship false religions. And that's actually still, that applies today. If you are a Christian, you are not to marry somebody that doesn't love Jesus. Uh, why would you want to do that if your first love is Jesus? And so this verse is not really about keeping the races separate or anything racist like that. I think the best explanation what is going on here has to do with some of the occult practices in the world in that day. Uh, the people in Canaan, they, uh, they worshipped these false gods, Baal, uh, Asherah. Uh, Baal was a male deity and Asherah was his female consort. And their religion was very perverted. And there was a lot of perverted sexuality that was a part of it. And they believed that Baal and Asherah, that they um, uh, enjoyed each other's uh, uh, presence, let's just say. Okay? And when they did this, uh, it produced rain and it produced uh, blessings. And so there were certain things that uh, the uh, worshipers would do that was part of sympathetic magic. And so part of it, if they believed, if they combined different seeds or uh, had diff- two different types of cloth together, that this was a way of, this sounds really weird, but it was almost like visual pornography for their false gods to please them. And so I think that's the thing that is going on behind here, that the Lord is saying, don't get involved with this. You, this is part of that just sick, you know, Canaanite practices, and you, you just can't be a part of that. So how does that apply to us today? These verses are not repeated in the New Covenant era, so I think I'm okay with my cotton polyester. I, I don't think there needs to be a deacon meeting afterwards for this. I think you're okay if you wore a, a kind of a blend. If you are wearing your cotton and polyester, for occult or witchcraft purposes, okay, then stop, okay, if that's the case. But otherwise, I think, I think we're fine. So that's an example of seeing, okay, what is the, it's a cultural expression of an underlying truth of not being involved with the occult. Some of these others probably deal with that as well. So some other verses, um, eating flesh with blood in it, there's other passages about that. They were to ex- uh, respect blood and in also in addition to that uh in the occult worship sometimes they viewed it as well they recognized life is in the blood so you can receive the power of your sacrifice by ingesting its blood and you know get the uh uh you know the the bull power or whatever that is almost like it was a magical thing talks about um not interpreting omens or telling fortunes. You know, they would do these things to tell the future. Uh, make a sacrifice and you would, you know, uh, spill the intestines of the ground and a fortune teller would tell you, oh, the, the way that it landed on the ground means this is what's going to happen. And the Lord is saying, no, none of that. None of these fortune telling, these type of things at all. In verse 27, when it talks about rounding off the hair on your temples or marring the edges of your beard... By the way, that's why Orthodox Jews today, you'll see them with the long curly sideburns because they're taking this literally and applying it to t- today. Uh, this is, again, not something that's repeated in the New Testament. We're not under it. And it probably, there probably were certain hairstyles or cuts of hair that were associated with the Canaanite worship. And so if you were following those 
uh, patterns, people would assume that you're just going along with uh, the worship of these false gods. And I think that's also the context for a lot of what it says in verse 28. You should not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourself, I am the Lord. And so part of their worship, sometimes, you know, they'd be cutting themselves and to, to appease the gods or as their rite of mourning. And uh, the Lord is saying, don't, don't do that. This also mentions tattoos. What is pastor going to say about this? And on one hand, I know there's people out here, you have tattoos. And there's others thinking, please don't tell my kids they can get tattoos. So, but I got to say something about this. Well, here's the thing. I, I, I won't share my personal opinion, okay? And sometimes that's just, that's just best. You're here for scripture, not for my pers- anyone's personal tastes or preferences uh, for and against them. There are some that interpret verse 28 primarily about not disfiguring your God-given body. And there is truth. Your body doesn't just belong to you. If your attitude is, I can do whatever I want to my body because it's mine. Well, tattoos or not, that's something that you need to repent of that because your body does belong to the Lord. It was given to you for the Lord. It's, it's, for, it's for him. So whatever you decide on this, please start with that attitude. However, these also were probably things that were part of Canaanite worship. The Canaanites would mutilate themselves as part of worship. They would tattoo themselves, marking themselves as slaves to their false gods. And so when it talks about tattooing here, that's probably the background and what is, what is going on. And that's probably the bigger deal that is, that is part of this. So we don't see anything in, in the New Testament specifically about this. Obviously, if it's anything about worshiping false gods or, uh, you know, um, anything occult, yeah, you don't want to be a part of that. Um, your body is given to you by the Lord, and so there is a basic respect there. That is something. Let me just, I'm not going to give you my opinion, but let me give you a, uh, maybe for some of the young people here especially, a wisdom issue. Okay, um, if you decide to get a, a giant tattoo of a spider on your face, okay, just for example, um, you are making a decision. Okay, that is something that, that is different than a birthmark, right? I mean, if you get some, and people would have a right to question uh, your, your decision-making abilities with certain things. Um, and you may be, communi- you're communicating something by your choice. And this is something to keep in mind. And it's just a practical issue. You know, if you're going to get a giant tattoo of a spider on your face, you may be communicating to future employees, please don't hire me. Okay, I'm the kind of person that thought it was a good idea to get a tattoo of a spider right on my face. So my only point with this, um, I, I think there is um, Christian liberty and freedom with, uh, with the tattoos. There's things to take into account and just realize you, you, are, you are making a choice in, in what you're communicating. And it may not be a big deal. Maybe it is. Verse uh, 29, a few of these others talk again about mediums or necromancers. Uh, some of the, I was reading an older version of the uh, ESV and had wizards. Um, so necromancers, they talk to the dead. Mediums, the same thing. They're, they're trying to be in contact with these spirits. Christian, you should have no part of that. So today too, you, you shouldn't be in, involved with seances, Ouija boards, those type of things. Um, that's, just, that's not for us to be a part of. 
And I think there's another application for us as Christians too. Sometimes we always want to kind of peer beyond the veil into secret knowledge of what God has not revealed. And sometimes even Christians, they'll use, you know, mystical means to go beyond what the Word of God has said and find other ways to, you know, uh, that seem kind of Christian-y to, uh, to tell us more, tell us more. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, so that we may do all the words of this law. So there are secret things. There are things that God has kept behind the veil he has not revealed. We are responsible for the revealed things. When there's things that God has not spoken of, content yourself with what he has told us and resist the, the, the urge to use mysticism to kind of peek beyond the veil. So that was kind of first point. There's a lot of verses there. A second one, we'll group some of these together. God's people must avoid sexual immorality. We've seen other passages two weeks ago, um, especially in Leviticus 18 and parts of 19, talking about sexual issues. Uh, The first one that it lists here, if a man lies sexually with a woman who is a slave assigned to another man, and now we're answered to give him his freedom, a distinction shall be made, and it gives the penalties for this. This is a hard one for us, too. Because, first of all, it's talking about slavery. One thing we always need to remind ourselves, and we've talked about this in other sermons, but we don't have time to really get into it. It's using the English word slave, but when you read that word, you should not instantly think about uh, slavery in the U.S. South that biblical forms of slavery, there were differences. Hebrew slavery, there were significant differences with this. Um, Also being a different time and an era, uh, for Hebrews, it was a temporary slavery. If it was a Hebrew, they would sell themselves into slavery for financial reasons, but it was more of an indentured servanthood for six years, and then you were released. There were also war captives that sometimes would be taken and made into slaves. And it's just a different situation. They're going into Canaan and uh, instead of just everyone being slaughtered, someone would be, they're just different things that were going on. But you also have issue here with what's going on and how is this woman being treated? I want to point this out. This law is actually protecting the woman in this circumstance. Uh, protecting her from being executed from what might otherwise be considered adultery because she was a promise or engaged to someone else and they would often view this if she had relations with somebody else as committing adultery, breaking this part of this engagement. And I think what is going on here, it's saying this is a unique circumstance in in that era. Um, She is being protected. Notice that the man is punished. It is said that he has sinned, and he is punished for his sin. The woman is not punished. There's a distinction being made. Um, She was being taken advantage of because of her powerless position. And so this is a different situation uh, than just regular uh, adultery, and therefore it is handled differently. Another passage here that deals with sexual relations 29 do not make your daughter a prostitute okay duh i I would hope that one is pretty self um 
self-evident, and it definitely applies today. There, there are politicians, though, that want to argue that this should be allowed today, that we just people should have the right to, to do what they want. But biblically, prostitution, whether it's religious prostitution or otherwise, is always wrong. Um, and uh, we would be doing a bad thing in society to, to legalize this. It is not empowering. It is anti-woman. It exploits and it dishonors women. And that's, that's what happens. It would just be a depravity for our society. So those are two dealing with sexual ethics. Moving on here. A third category, God's people must show thankfulness to the Lord. So God's people do what's right. Give God his proper worship out of gratitude. 23 through 25 talk about when they enter the land of Canaan. This is a specific situation. They plant some trees. It says the first three years uh, to just kind of let it go. You shouldn't eat it. It's forbidden to you. But then the fourth year, that harvest, that goes to the Lord. And then you can eat out of it the fifth year. So it's like, okay, it's going to be a few years before we can start eating of these, these trees. I think part of the underlying principle here is, well, the first few years, you really wouldn't have very good fruit anyways. So if you were going to try and get off the hook as far as giving God his, his offering, his praise, and give him one of the, the junk harvests, that wouldn't be showing real good proper thanks to him. In the same way for us, if we're just giving him the scraps or the leftovers in our life, whether it's from our finances or our time, you know, we want to give the best to him. So they were told to wait until the fourth year when it's a good harvest, then give that to the Lord. So this was a specific um, application for them, but an underlying principle, are we giving God the, are we giving to him out of our finances, our tithes and our offerings? Are we expressing our thankfulness to him in, in that way? Are we giving to him with our time as well? There was the Jewish Sabbath, Saturday, which there are changes we're not under it the same way. But do we give God the time that he deserves today? Or, hey, if I want to sleep in on Sunday, it's my time, use it for me. We need to give God the time and the devotion that he deserves. A fourth, God's people must treat other people with respect. I have a few verses grouped under here, respecting older folk, respecting the elderly. Verse 32, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. That's part of fearing the Lord your God. We live in a culture, a society that worships youth and casts away the people when they become older. Everything is about the young. And when we become older, which that's all of us at one point, um, if we live long enough, then you're just kind of cast away and forgotten. That's, that's unbiblical. That's ungodly. That's not living according to the fear of the Lord. We need to respect those that are older, respect our elders. Think of all the blessings and, and things that we have because of generations that have gone before us. Sometimes our, us younger generations, we tend to think, well, you know, we have cell phones and we have all this. Who made that possible? Who made possible the roads that you drive on? Who made possible the fact that uh, you are not um, Nazis right now? Okay? Obey God. Show some respect. It also talks about respecting sojourners. 
And this is a big controversial. In, in the world today, I mean, there's all kinds of things going on with immigration, immigration crisis. Verses 33 through 34, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were a stranger's In the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. The word here for strangers um, has the idea of a resident alien. So someone who's not a citizen dwelling in another country, either as a temporary guest, maybe they're there for for work or for trade, they're a permanent resident uh, alien, but they're they're not a native. They wouldn't have um, land rights, that were given with the, the Jews and distributed because they, they weren't from the, the Jewish people. And think of all the ways back then and today that someone that's a foreigner could be taken advantage of. If you don't know the language, if, you're, I mean, some of, if you've traveled somewhere else, you realize how vulnerable you are when you don't know the language, you don't know the customs. If you don't have a network of friends and family, you don't understand the intricacies of the law and what your rights are, if people wanted to take advantage of you, they could do that very easily. And primarily, that's what this verse is saying. Like, don't use that and take advantage of these people, ripping them off, uh, doing terrible deals against them and exploiting them. And these are, these are people that are created in the image of God. And you were once sojourners too, and you were kept as slaves, and you're not to be treating other people just because you were treated that way, treating other people that way. There are many verses in the, uh, the books of Moses that talk about the treatment of foreigners. Some of them express equal treatment. There are also exceptions where there are some things that are different or distinguished with foreigners. Uh, they could not um, take up deliberations in the, the, uh, the tribe. They could not become king. Uh, Deuteronomy 17.15 there was different laws as far as interest being paid. Um, there, there were some differences. I think part of that, we need to recognize that um, in Leviticus here and also in Leviticus twenty four twenty two, which says, you shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, as for the native, I am the Lord your God. It's, it's using the Hebrew word uh, jeer. Old Testament scholar James Hoffmeyer says that this word that's translated as, as sojourner here um, in the Old Testament was, quote, a person who entered Israel and followed legal procedures to obtain recognized status as a resident alien. And so according to uh, James Hoffmeyer, Old Testament scholar, he says, if we were to think about it today, this would probably be the closest category for us. This would be like a legal immigrant, saying they would have the same kind of rights treated you know, fairly under, under the law. This is the context and what it's talking about. Hoffmeyer goes on to say um, that um, other types of, of immigrants uh, would not necessarily expect the same privileges from the state whose uh, laws they have uh, disregarded. And there's a distinguish that is made between a legal alien, a jeer, and other foreigners, and there's different terms that are used. However, the Christian uh, insists that everyone is to be dealt with in a humane manner. This is a thorny issue today. We all recognize this. There's a lot of things going on, and we're not going to solve the whole immigration crisis and all of these things today. 
But we see there's both sides of this issue. On one hand, there's a strong statement to treat people with respect, to treat people uh, fairly, to not be taking advantage of people. Uh, many verses on that that we need to consider. I, I need to point this out because I've seen a lot that there's misuses, I think, of these passages uh, by some with maybe certain political agendas saying, well, this means that we need to have open borders or that absolutely, um, you know, uh, anyone who wants to, to be here I mean, most of the world would love to come to America because it's a, it's a better life. In the short time I have, let me just say a few things. All people, regardless of immigration or even legal status, are made in the image of God. We need to start with that. Treating people with the basic respect and dignity and care. And all people should have our compassion. Now, I know there's a lot of issues and there's a lot of... Um, you know, what that compassion is going to look like and what it's going to mean, that's where there's room for a lot of debate. And uh, it'd be nice if people could just really deal with the issues in, in honest ways instead of so much misinformation that's out there. I do believe that a nation has the right and responsibility to control their borders and the immigration process. And yeah, our current immigration process is a disaster. And many people have taken advantage of different things, and it's making it bad for, uh, for, for immigrants and for, for all the way around. And that enforcing rules just makes it worse and, and unjust for everyone, including those seeking entrance into the United States. So there's a lot to, to, to deal with here. Sometimes we need to deal with this with humility and realizing that just you know reading a little blurb here on Facebook or that, there might be a, a bigger picture, and it's a, it is a complicated, uh, thorny issue. So be praying for those in leadership to have wisdom and to do what is right and what is just all the way around. Cursing your mother or father, 20 verse 9, it's punishable by death. It's a serious thing. Respect your parents. We've seen that in other places in Scripture. And the last one as we wrap up here. God's people must be honest in financial dealings. You shall do no wrong in judgments in measures of length or weight or quantity. So if you should, you should, God's people shouldn't be rigging their weights to make it seem like they're selling more than they actually are because they're using crooked scales or unjust measures. You know, for us too, the underlying purpose point of this is as a Christian, we should be the most honest people, the most trustworthy people. And I know there are, Christians, there are people that will claim, look at me, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and advertise this and give Christians bad names because of their sh- shady business dealings. That's sin. That should not be us. And they should be able to, your life should be just of integrity, whether you're buying or selling or whatever it is. And um, selling a vehicle, um, I appreciate the deacons, you know, we're, we're selling some of our vehicles and maybe not getting as much as we could because we want to make sure that um, we are accurately representing the, uh, the condition that the vehicle is in. We need to be just above reproach. Let me finish up. Two verses that we hadn't looked at. Leviticus... 27 through 8. This is interesting. Because you look at all these laws, have we kept them? Have we kept these perfectly? Even the underlying principles that do still apply today. The truth is we haven't. 
we see here it says, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I think it's interesting to see both halves. We are called, we have the responsibility to be holy. Leviticus is all about that. Be holy, God is holy. Consecrate yourselves, that's what it means. But Christian, also realize, you are not doing this in your own power. Ultimately, it is God. It says, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. He is the one that sets you apart. He is the one that works through you. And the truth is, you haven't kept God's word. You haven't kept his rules holy, perfectly. And so that's why Jesus needed to come. Someone who has kept all these things down to the core, perfectly in your behalf. And so the moment that you trust Christ as your Savior, there's a real sense in God eye, God's eyes that you are sanctified. You are given credit for his perfect life. We are called to be holy. It's God who makes this happen. Christ's sacrifice makes you clean in God's eyes before he even starts working in you to cleanse your life from the inside out. And as we transition to communion, as we take this, remember, we can never be saved by keeping God's laws. We can, you can never be saved by obeying his statutes. We have already broken them. But we have a perfect Savior who did not break them. Instead, we have a Savior who is broken for us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much. We thank you for your rules and for the principles. Help us to live by uh, the standards that, that apply to us today in your character. And we thank you that we have Jesus Christ, the perfect law keeper who gave his life for us, who was broken on our behalf. Help us to trust in him and live for him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.